Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk. Hello, my name's Jeremy Gordon and welcome to CityWire's The Wealth Show. I'm very pleased to be joined on the podcast today by Gresham House's Ken Watton who runs the firm's £400 million UK multi-cap income fund. Strong performance in recent years has been helped by his specialism in smaller companies. And he also runs portfolios dedicated to that area, including the Strategic Equity Capital Investment Trust. Ken, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeremy. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Why don't we start with a, a big trend in the smaller companies sector, takeovers. Um, there's been so much activity um uh, in the last couple of years, you know, basically because UK shares have become undervalued. Is that right? Uh, I think that's certainly a, a part of it. Um, and, it's, and it's UK shares right across the market cap spectrum that you know, we think are undervalued. And you, there's lots of data to show that uh, we're at multi-decade discounts uh, for UK equities versus uh, you know, other developed markets, particularly the US market. And that, that's been the case even despite the, the drawdowns we've seen in various markets over the last 12 months. Um, the, the smaller companies area, it typically trades structurally at a discount to larger companies, um, which means there's, there's even more of a valuation, uh, sort of discontinuity in, 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 in the small end of the market. And what we're seeing and what we have seen over the last uh, three years, really, but, but, uh, but certainly over the last 12 months, is... Uh, either corporate buyers or private equity firms who have built up large war chests of dry powder, uh, spotting the, the arbitrage that, that exists between both the UK and, and other international markets, but also the UK uh, versus private markets, the UK listed, listed area versus private markets. Yeah. So when, when they see that valuation opportunity and, and you know, look selectively within the UK listed universe and find high quality businesses that you know, maybe exposed to structural growth trends rather than uh, be cyclically exposed to the UK economy, actually they're, they're, there's, there's some really exciting opportunities. So I think that's what's really driven driven the activity. And, and my personal view is that it's going to pick up significantly in 2023. It could pick up, so it could pick up again? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Because I mean, we've seen a bit of a, a hiatus uh, around the, the mini budgets and, and the, the, the bit of turmoil in the debt markets, which I think has caused some some potential acquirers to pause and, and reevaluate. Um but I think that's you know now we've got that settled a little bit, I expect um we'll we'll see a, a, a resurgence and you know I, I wouldn't surprise me if twenty twenty three was a much bigger year than twenty twenty two in terms of activity. Okay. I mean, you, you did mention it there, but there, there's been a big jump in interest rates and um when private equity particularly, you know, debt has has fueled quite a lot of these deals uh, since the financial crisis. Really, you, you don't think that could, you know, spark a a, a kind of more more cautious period? Um, I think you know that that's the reason why there's been a bit of a of a pause, sort of in in the fourth quarter of last year. Yeah, um, but we're already seeing some signals of, of, that, that it's starting again already now. Um, I think you know the availability of debt and the cost of debt. Mm. It's certainly going to be a factor 
that, that, that could affect pricing. Um, but then you know, the discounts that we're seeing versus private market multiples are so significant now in some areas that you know, even if even if uh, they can borrow a little bit less and it costs a little bit more, uh, the impact on returns uh, I think is is massively outweighed by the by the discounted valuation. So uh, you know it's it's clearly a consideration, but I I, I don't think it's going to stop them um, from particularly the private equity buyers because. Uh, they, they've, they've raised so much money. I mean, they're, 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 there's all, all sorts of different stats out there about the, the number, the amount of private equity dry powder globally, but it's sort of well in excess of a trillion dollars of commitments to, to funds that they need to deploy. So I think you know, that's going to be the bigger factor than, than the, the, the interest rates that they're, they're having to pay on the debt. Okay. Before before we come come on to that a bit more, so I mean, th- this trend um, has been a helpful tailwind for, for your fund and rivals. Uh, I think the multi-cap income fund has had 13 takeovers uh, and they tend to be at a significant uh, premium uh, in the last five years. Um, but do you think sometimes um, UK companies have been taken out too cheap? Um, yeah, I think there's a real spectrum. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we are you know, clearly as public market investors, we don't want all of our best companies to be taken out uh, at a short term premium. At the expense of long-term opportunity, and we are long-term investors. So, um, but you know, it, it's an inevitable consequences uh, consequence of of the stock market and equity investors in in general not rating some of these businesses appropriately. So, you know, I, we, we don't buy companies just because we think they're going to be taken over. Um, certainly not in a short-term view. We, we focus on the fundamentals of, of the businesses. We're trying to find. High quality companies in attractive areas uh, with with tailwinds to, to to their growth opportunity, um, with good management teams that can can exploit that, um, and we want to buy them at attractive prices so that we can make a good return. And you know, surprisingly enough, corporate buyers and and, uh, and and private equity firms are also looking for high quality companies in good areas that they can buy at attractive multiples. So, the, the, I guess the trick for us is to. Uh, find the right businesses, and then um, you know we we hope that the stock market will value those appropriately after we've invested. If, if, but if the stock market doesn't do that, if it doesn't rate them appropriately, which it currently isn't, then uh, inevitably you'll 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 see takeover interest. And you know I think that you know the UK has been very out of favour with asset allocators for 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 a considerable period now, and that's part of what's driven the. The valuation discounts because there's been outflows from UK funds. Uh, I think one of the catalysts for that changing could well be a resurgence in takeover activities so are really highlighting the, the, this big valuation anomaly. Um, because we would, you know, there are a number of companies that we own where you can point to very specific transactions which are of similar businesses where the whole company has been bought, uh, whether by private equity or by by corporates uh, at multiples which are now. You know, coming up to double the, the the multiples that some of our companies are trading on the market. So you know, that that's just too wide. And if the stock market doesn't start to recognise that, then then uh, you know, corporate buyers will and private equity firms will. Uh, and if they start to in, in in a big way, then 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 I think that's a catalyst to sort of focus on the valuation discontinuity, and therefore people will start to allocate back to the UK. Yeah, I mean, can, can you talk specifically about some of those companies where, where you're saying that they're you know they're trading on multiples that are half. Um, the similar deals that we've seen in private markets. Yeah, so there's, there's, there's two two companies specifically I can point to where you know, we are major shareholders, and I think you know, it's important 
when we talk about our, our, our strategy for investing, uh, one of the things that we like, or we're, we're certainly not shy of doing, where we have high conviction, is is taking a big equity stake in a company. If you can do that, then you 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 have a voice in that conversation. So if someone comes along to try and uh, and, and take over a company, uh, if it's the wrong price and it's too low, you know we can potentially block that if if, if we've got big enough stakes or, or certainly have an influence over it. So um, you know, we, we, um, and we have that in, in the two companies I'm I'm going to mention. So um, the first one is a company called Medica, which is a, a healthcare services company. It's a, a technology sort of underpinned business that is providing outsourced teleradiology services to uh, the NHS, to, to health services in Ireland, and also to pharmaceutical and biotech companies in the clinical trial space uh, to support drug development. Um, so it, it's it's a business that's growing double digit at the top line. Uh, it's, it's international in scope. It's in an area which we don't believe is cyclical. It's, it's structurally growing. Um, yeah, the business is valued at a multiple, which is about you know, not far off a fifty percent discount to uh, the, the multiple that a private equity firm paid for a very similar business that actually competes with it with, with Medica in the UK. Which um, is that? Sorry, it's a business called Everlight. Okay, um, and so yeah, we we know that uh, you know, a, a, a private equity buyer has been prepared in the relatively recent past to pay. A much higher multiple for for that business, and you know, Medica is the leader in the UK. So, um, you know, I'm not that, that's not me saying. I think Medica will will get taken out. That's not why we're investing in it because we think it can deliver really attractive multi year growth, and that will drive that will drive ultimately a re rating of the business, and, and we'll we'll make money that way. But you know, if the market doesn't rate the business uh, appropriately for the growth that it's delivering, then you know it, it's clear and obvious. Uh, company that, that that private equity might be interested in. Sure, and you, thanks, Ken. And you mentioned the second name. Yeah, so the the other one is a company called In- Inspired, which is um, it's a consultancy business focused on the, en- the energy market. So it, it advises uh, corporates in the UK, so mid mid to large corporates and larger energy users um, on uh, how to optimize their energy procurement so they can get the best deal, and then also how to optimize uh, their energy consumption so they can consume less and therefore uh, in, in the short term mitigate some of the higher energy prices that we're seeing sounds like a very relevant business for today yeah I, I absolutely agree and you've got so you've got and energy prices are high which which cause people to want to focus more on cost but also longer term it's about sustainability and carbon carbon reduction as well um so that's a business where again there's a a similar company is actually smaller um, competitor in the UK called Zenergy, which got got acquired by a private equity firm within the last twelve months uh, at a multiple which is more than double the, the multiple that Inspired is currently trading on the market. So again, another sort of data point which just sort of highlights that anomaly that we've we, that we've been talking about. Sure. Okay. Um. What what one other kind of sector actually I wanted to ask you about because you're quite a big investor in it is, is the UK wealth management sector. Um. Now, 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 this is, you know, wealth management and financial advice in the UK has seen quite a lot of interest um, from corporate buyers, especially. I mean, I mean, so last year there was there was a big deal with uh, Royal Bank of, of Canada taking over Bruin Dolphin. And, you you know, you invest quite heavily in this space. I mean, just to reel off a few names, um, 
Brooks McDonald is a big position in your strategic equity capital trust. Um, you know, in other funds, we've got Matthew Early Words, Tatan Asset Management. I mean, I suppose, firstly, what, what do you think about that trend? Um, and what do you think about valuations and the outlook for that sector today? Yeah, so no, I think it's a sector which, um, you know, as you rightly point out, we've been sort of you know, active investors in for, for a considerable amount of time. And the reason for that is that the big long-term structural trends uh, which have been driving consolidation in that market, and that's uh, increased regulation, um, and it's uh, you know a shift towards more individual personal responsibility for sort of retirement planning and long-term um, sort of management of, of individual wealth, and, and that's 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 led to the requirement for advice. But it's all, also that the, 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 there are economies of scale um, to, to delivering that in terms of buying of, of buying products, and also. Know, defraying the costs of increasing regulation, and you know, the re- regulation is only really going in one direction. So, um, th- that, that's some of the, the long term structural drivers for, for growth and consolidation in the sector. Um, and there's a lot of you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a fragmented market, it's a huge market, and um, there are lots, lots of kind of nuances to different business models. And some of the companies you mentioned there that we own have you know, a different plays on that, and they, they don't necessarily compete directly with each other. Um, but, but, but as a result of uh, some of those attractions of the sector, as you rightly point out, there has been sort of a lot of consolidation and, and mergers and acquisitions activity in the space. And uh, again, just the risk of sounding like a broken record, that, that it's another area where uh, because of the, the weakness in, in ratings of the UK uh, market and small caps in particular, you've got a big discrepancy between the multiples that um, you know, corporate buyers and, and private equity have been prepared to pay in this space versus what some of the businesses you mentioned are, are, are trading at. So you know, Bruin Dolphin, National Wealth Manager, RBC have acquired them on a, on a, on a I think it's 19 times uh, EV EBITDA. Um, we, we own Brooks McDonald, which is it's a bit smaller, but it's another National Wealth Manager. We think it's got some good attractions to it. And and again, it's on a rating which is approximately half the rating that, that Bruins was taken out at. So you know, yet again, it's sort of exposing that valuation arbitrage opportunity. Okay. One one other to ask about, a bit different, I think, but is XBS Pensions Group that that's quite a big bet, bet for you? Can you can you discuss that business and its attractions a bit? Yeah, I mean, so XBS is a an actuarial uh, and pensions consultancy business and an administration platform. Um, so it is mainly advising um, the trustees of defined benefit pensions okay. on various aspects of of, of of operating those pensions. So Know, ranging from you know, the, the, the regulatory uh, sort of burdens and, and, and requirements that they have to how to administer them effectively, to how to maximise the investment returns that they can generate and to, to ensure that they can support the, the, uh, the, the, the pension liabilities that they ultimately have to have to bear as a pension fund. So you might think that you know, pensions is not a particularly exciting area um, and uh, actuaries have a certain... Uh, sort of reputation <laughs> um but you know I, I think this is a really exciting area because you know, it's not cyclical um it, it's a market where although defined you know new new defined benefit pensions are are, are extremely rare um the, the value of the assets and the and the duration of, over which those assets have to uh, be planned to to meet the liabilities is is, is multi-decade so there's an opportunity in this market for a considerable amount of time it's driven by regulation and there's only more regulation coming down the pipe so uh, trustees 
have a lot of things to think about and they need help, help to do that. Um, and it's a market which is dominated by the three sort of global mega businesses. Um, and there's an opportunity for, for XPS to, uh, partly through, through acquisition and partly through organic growth, to become the clear leader of the, of the next tier. Um, and and, and yeah, that's, that's the strategy. So you know, they're, they're really coming into their own now. The trading is very strong and increasingly topical in, in the current market. Uh, XPS is a beneficiary of inflation okay. because it has inflation in contracts. So um, you know, it is able to grow its revenue through price increases faster than its cost base is going up. So now that's pretty rare in this market. And you know, I think the market's not really currently giving them enough credit for, for, for those characteristics. I suppose another topical thing is um, LDI, um, liability-driven investing, uh, which was this strategy a lot of pension funds used or advised to use, uh, which had a meltdown last year. I mean, is, is XPS kind of exposed to the backlash against that at all? Um, I, I think rather than being exposed to the backlash, it's, it's, uh, exposed, to, it's exposed to, to the opportunity that that, Sort of focused on that that uh, discontinuity show. So I think October last year was one of the, one of, if not the busiest month in their history for, in terms of advice on uh, uh, for, for trustees on how they should sort of tackle the the, the huge moves in the gilt market. Um, so you know, and, and I think there's a quote from one of their consultants you know, around that time, which is, "There's no pension fund in in the country that will not end up." Better funded as a result of what happened, but there were short-term liquidity issues resulting from 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 those those contracts. So all of this drives requirement for advice, and I'm sure we'll we'll also drive more regulation in the future. And again, that that requires advice. So I think it's a it's been actually quite positive for them. Okay, and I suppose well, stepping back from uh, XPS a bit, but you know some of these financial sector businesses and wealth management, you know, this is one of the areas where you're expecting a takeover resurgence this year. Or a resurgence of bids, perhaps. Yeah, look, I think you know there there are a number of areas where you know, you know I guess if you if you have major outflows from funds exposed to UK equities, then when they have to sell, they 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 might be just indiscriminate about that, and that means it leads to everything being derated, and you know it's not necessarily selectively focused. So I think what what the market's missing is some of these areas where the structural growth trends. Where there's M and A activity at much higher multiples, they're still being derated anyway, and that that creates a you know, great opportunity. And as I said, I would, you know, would expect us to benefit from that over the course of this year. Sure. Um, so you know, all your portfolios have broadly been strong performers in recent years. I think particularly the multi-cap income fund. I mean, last year returns are a bit more muted, although um, you know, compared to lots of other smaller companies investors, you you, you know you held up a bit better. Were, were, were you happy with last year's performance, and how are you feeling about the outlook? Um, so t- taking the multi-cap income fund specifically, yeah, you know, we had a, a modestly down year last year, and if you compare that to the FTSE All Share, uh, yeah, that that was somewhat disappointing. Um, but and when you look at it relative to the UK equity income sector, uh, yeah, you know, we were we were certainly well below the average performer. But you know, there's really two main reasons for that, which you know, I'm, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with because okay. Uh, you know, it is a small, it, it is a small mid-cap centric fund, albeit that it's all, all cap. We do have sort of mid and large cap names within the within the portfolio as well, um, and large cap outperformed small cap material last year. In fact, if you look at the sort of the real granular data, 
the top 10 largest market cap companies um, in, in the UK, you know, that that was the difference between making money and not making money in, 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 uh, in UK equities last year because the mega cap outperformed. And then the second bit is um, you've got sectors that drove drove the, 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 the all share, which we don't invest in. So mining, oil and gas and banks, you know, they were better performers. Um, and, and, you know, we don't, we, we specifically avoid those sectors and our investors know that because, because, because we've sort of set out this, our, our strategy to, to uh, avoid those areas, which we think uh, there will be periods like last year where that, that's a headwind to relative performance, but through the cycle, we think we can generate the returns that we're looking for, for our investors with less volatility and more consistency by avoiding those sectors than having them because they tend to be more cyclical and more, more volatile. So, you know, you know, I never, I'm never happy when we lose money in the year, but you know, our fund is doing what it's supposed to do, what we tell our investors it's doing, and we're confident that 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 works over the long term. Yeah, and so in that fund and your 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 small cap portfolios, I mean, what have you been doing basically? You know, have you been adding to names which did sell off the most? Were you still confident? Or absolutely, yeah. So you know, the, the the for for the first half of the year at least, we were you know, our, our focus was risk assessment and just kicking the tires properly on everything that we already own so just making sure that you know, the world's changed the economic environment's different and whilst we're not macro uh, investors and we're, we're very bottom up we are macro aware and we want to make sure that the the macro headwinds that we're seeing um we want to make sure we understand how they might affect our our portfolio companies and if there's an issue uh, then then do something about it so that was our real focus. We did make a number of changes as a result of it, and certain uh, uh, stocks didn't make it, and we sold them. Um, but the, the main, uh, we were fortunate enough, particularly in our multi income fund last year, to have inflows into the fund during a year when you know, the, the overall sort of trend was big outflows from UK funds. So that put us in a good position to be able to deploy capital when other people were were, were, were selling, um, and. The, the sort of first port of call with that was in our existing portfolio where we had high conviction, particularly where where they've been derated. Um, you know, we are seeing lots of new opportunities now. We did start to add a few names at the end of last year, but you know, and, and I would expect the turnover probably to be lower looking forward than it was last year because uh, fingers crossed we're in a slightly more normalised environment now. But, um, but I, you know, I, 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 we have high conviction in the portfolio companies we have. We're, we're confident that they are resilient, um, and uh, as far as we can, we've, we've satisfied ourselves that the, the economic headwinds are going to be able to sort of uh, trade through those in, in a way which uh, won't be detrimental to our value. And um, so that's where we should be f- initially focusing. And then, but there are, there are increasing number of interesting opportunities beyond the portfolio, and we'll obviously selectively add, add positions when we see compelling value and, and, and a kind of long-term opportunity. Yeah. Okay, you, you've invested in some um, alternative uh, investment trusts, uh, for example, hypnosis songs in, in song royalties. I mean, are, are you concerned about those uh, those kind of alternative income areas uh, as interest rates rise? I mean, hypnosis songs, for example, has had a tough twenty twenty two. Yeah, no, I think the, the, I, I believe in the long term opportunity for that for that strategy. You know, it's Doing something quite different. It, it, it was a it was a a leader, a first mover in doing something quite different, which is um, you know investing in in the rights for songs, particularly songwriter rights, which have long duration, um, and effectively 
you know, annuity income streams um, where, where because of the expertise of the management team and their connections with the industry, they're able to, uh, first of all, originate interesting you know, deal opportunities like some of the free, free with Matt royalties, et cetera, which you know, re real one-off catalogues. And then also through active management, try to drive incrementally uh, additional royalties from them. Um, uh, in an environment where streaming has enabled that to, to, to happen, where, the, where it's more predictable, where there's more data. Um, so I think I believe in that proposition long term. I think you know, what, what, what we might have got slightly wrong is that um, you know, there, there were material investors in going into that fund who were investing not because of the op not purely for the operational opportunity and the long term sort of growth opportunity, but also um, for the, I guess, uncorrelated income um so I, i'm i'm happy that the, the the dividend per share that we can drive from that from that fund is attractive it's robust and it will grow over time um you know at the moment the, the, the fund's gone to a discount i think that's that's more of an opportunity for long-term investors so uh, as long as you believe that 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 income stream is is attractive robust and growing and um you know, stacks up against just having your money in the bank then i think it's it's still a good good opportunity okay that's one you've added to is it yeah we have added to mm. okay thanks uh last question just wanted to speak about the um strategic equity capital investment trust a bit um yeah there's been quite a lot going on with this trust um including a bit of um shareholder pushback we might say about the persistent discount uh, to the portfolio valuation which the shares were trading at can you can you bring us up to speed on that a bit firstly sure so you know the, the, I, I took on managing the trust in september 2020 uh, after gresham house had, had won the mandate in a competitive tender to, to to take it on from a different from previous manager yeah um you know it's a trust which really first of all it really fits our, our strategy of taking a private equity approach to the public markets. It's a concentrated fund. You know, it, it, it's focusing on active engagement. So it's really leveraging the capabilities we have at Question House. In fact, we've got a private equity business and um, you know, the strategy we, we undertake. Uh, and, and we're happy to take big stakes and sort of, sort of get involved in the companies where that's relevant. We think we can add value. Yeah. So that's why, that's why we wanted it. And that's why I was excited to, 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 to become the manager. Um, you know, it, because, because it was a, an existing trust that, we didn't set up. It had a shareholder base which had been sort of evolved over a considerable period, um, and some of them were happy, and some some were less so about what the strategy and the, and the changes. So there was obviously going to be some 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 uh, uh, I guess churn in, in shareholder register. Yeah, um, it, the, we, we were subject to an approach um, for we the, the trust was subject to an approach from another uh, sort of peer investment trust. Uh, in the UK, is it Odyssean, correct? Um, and about a possible combination of the two trusts. Mm. Um, and uh, that the board ultimately rejected that approach. Um, but as part of that, uh, of justifying the rejection to, to shareholders, um, they, they, they sanctioned a number of, of initiatives to try and tackle the discount, which was, I guess, ultimately why, why some shells were at least considering whether or not it would be a good idea to merge. Um, and th that seems to have worked. I mean, what, the, the, the peak the peak discounts inside was involved was 25%. Uh, it's, it's now sort of around 6 7%. Um, that's been achieved through a combination of, I think, performance, active marketing, uh, 
an active buyback program by the, by the trust, which is a ongoing rather than a, a, a big tender offer, um, and, and also Gresham House itself committing to uh, reinvest some of our fees in, into into um, into shares through the market in, in, on an ongoing basis. So all, all designed to try and support a five percent discount. So um, that that appears to have worked quite well, and certainly in an environment where over the last 12 months where investment trust discounts have widened materially and UK equity fund discounts have widened materially. Ours has gone in the opposite direction. So, you know, it seems to be working. Okay. And I suppose, well, you know, on, on the outlook, you're, you're maybe similar things apply to what we've been discussing, but you, you're, you're excited about that. You, you think you, the, you know, you're finding good value opportunities. Yeah, so SEC strategic capital PLC. It is a it's a high conviction concentrated fund. We've got eighteen holdings currently. Seventy eight percent of the value of the of the trust in terms of NAV is in the top ten holdings, and those top ten holdings are businesses which we think are a sort of high quality businesses with good long term prospects, but b the valuations are are compelling. And you know, we talked about some of those. Holdings today, so XPS, Pensions, Medica, Inspired Energy, Brooks McDonald—they're all big holdings in that that trust, and all of which we think have got significant upside. Brilliant. Okay, well, thanks very much, Ken. I think that that's all we've got time for today. But thanks very much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Great. And last thing to say is, um, thanks everyone for listening, and please look out for more of our podcasts soon. Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk.